If you're looking for a new podcast to binge listen to this fall, you should check out Vanity Fair's Inside the Hive, hosted by Nick Bilton, who is a personal friend of Kara Swisher's. Nick takes you inside the rooms where the world's most interesting and influential decisions are made for candid conversations with the leading minds in tech, politics, and culture, including yours truly. He finds out what motivates them, how they make their decisions, what keeps them up at night, where they get their ideas from, and where they think their industry is going. Wait, this sounds like Recode Decode. Well, it's an excellent show anyway. First listen to Recode Decode, but then you can listen to Nick's fantastic show, Inside the Hive. New episodes come out every Friday on Apple Podcasts, VF Hive, or wherever you get your podcasts. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today, we're going to play a session from the Vanity Fair New Establishment Summit earlier this month. I was on a panel moderated by Vanity Fair's Nick Bilton, along with venture capitalist Shervin Peshavar, Uptake CEO Brad Keywell, and the founder of The Board List, Sukinder Singh Cassidy. Let's take a listen. How's it going, everyone? Good. Good, good. good, good. Carrie, Great. lovely, as always. Oh, my God, really? Did you just say that to a woman? <laughs> yeah, I did. All right. Nice Shervin, you look real pretty. How about me? Do I look lovely? He does. He looks he lovely. all of us. But you know what, Shervin? You should Brad, smile you more. You, you all look great. <laughs> you all look great. Um, thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, so while I was talking to Bob, there was um, some news going on of Uber, am yeah. I correct? Uh, who wants to take it? Shervin? What do you want to know? Versus <laughs> who I knows that, more? I love that he's the investor and you know more. Um, he knows enough. You think? Uh, he knows enough. What, what was going on just now and is it done? No, they're in the middle of the board meeting. They're still in the middle of the board yes. meeting. Okay. Yes. And board meeting was, started at 1230. Okay, The meeting good. started at 1230. <laughs> well done. Still in it. They're still in it. This is like live action reporting. Let's see. Do you want to look at your text? Yeah, yeah, they're still in it. They're still yeah. in it. If I, yeah. if I took her phone right now and I showed her, you'd see all the leaks <laughs> coming in on her screen. Um, it's still going on, and they're deciding whether to change governance of the company and to what level they're going to change it. And it's pretty much, initially, it was all designed to limit uh, the former CEO's power, Travis Kalanick's. Now it's morphed into a more split the baby situation where some of it will be limited and some of it, the, some of the more stringent stuff will not be. That's what I'm saying, but I'm not sure. I think they want, I, I called it peace, they want peace in the kingdom, essentially. They want peace in the, does it seem like there can be peace in the kingdom? No, it's like Westeros, so no. <laughs> All right, so I have covered some pretty messed up boards and companies you care have. Um, uh, Twitter was nothing short of a disaster most of the time. But Uber is, is next level. I mean, this is like, <laughs> this is literally, if Lifetime did Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. this is, I think, what it would look like, something like this. Something like this. Something like yeah. this. Um, why, Shervin, why is it such a mess? And can it be fixed? How many minutes do we have? Um, well, I was on the board of directors of Uber for four years as a board observer. Can you speak so up a little bit? I uh, got to see a lot of things from when the company was founded by Travis Kalanick and by Garrett Camp and a band of people who uh, made history. They built the fastest growing company in history. The company was like 7,000 customers back then in 2011. Benchmark had invested uh, six months before or so. 
and then uh, we invested when I was at Menlo, and we invested personally after that, uh, became an advisor. So I got to see things really early on. Travis is a really brilliant mind. Uh, company. <clears throat> brilliant uh, in that he hates women, or? Sorry. So he's a really brilliant mind, and he uh, helped build a really great company. And it was this band of people, about 200 people, who got uh, what's called Class B shares. Uh, Class B shares came with uh, special rights. Uh, they would uh, have a different value uh, in the future, and these were hard won by those early people. Uh, so they have legal rights uh, that they own, and that's what's happening today. The board meeting started at 12.30. If they strip it, they strip those rights away from those early uh, investors and employees and advisors. I'm one of those, right? Steve Russell is one of those. Steve Russell was a good friend of Gary Camp's. Uh, so there's a bit of Shakespearean uh, melodrama, I guess you would say. Now you say Game of Thrones. But uh, unfortunately, uh, Steve Russell now believes that uh, what Benchmark has done, in his opinion, in my opinion, is uh, not just legally wrong, but also morally wrong. Against the interests of all those employees that worked so hard to build one of the fastest growing companies in history. Right, I'm gonna... Yeah. Well, let me just finish right, one point. I know, but you're getting in the weeds of, of what is essentially a legal stock shareholder battle, correct? I mean, what's Well, the Class B shares, and it's happening right well, now well, live, well, well, if they're taken away, what well, we said yesterday, uh, we released a statement with the lawyers uh, and the law firm that we hired. We will we'll, uh, do a class action suit against uh, those that would vote to take away those rights that were hard earned by those Class B shareholders. Which is precisely what's about to happen. Yes. Actually. And so I think Chervin is in the ways of a very, uh, very ugly, and then we'll get to the actual topic here. Because yeah. um, these guys are like, oh my God, fucking Uber. <laughs> They're like, am I on the wrong uh, panel? This, is, this will get us on the topic, actually, yeah. because here's the problem. Yeah. With all due respect to Shervin, and I'm not talking about you in particular, but the yeah. problem going on with Silicon Valley right now is an expression I have used on hedge fund guys and everything else, is you're so poor, all you have is money. That they cannot, they have built something which is remarkable. Yeah. Let, let me just say that. Yeah, oh, what yeah. Travis Kalanick has built is remarkable. How he built it is a whole other question. And how a lot of Silicon Valley has been building these companies over time is now coming home to roost, which I think is the point here. What? Is that it, it, they, they have an expression at Facebook, which is move fast and break things. Yeah. Well, yeah. they've broken a lot of fucking things, and they have to stop. Kara? That's what completely. I'm saying. Kara and I. Wait, wait, I have a wait. very uh, good relationship. We're a bit like brothers and sisters. We fight. We adore each other. I uh, have immense respect for her. I have one question for you. Sure. You like Larry Ellison, correct? I enjoy him. Hmm. He amuses me. Right. I do not like everything he's done. Of course not. We should get some popcorn and I'm glad for he, this. And I'm sure he's... <laughs> I'm sure he's glad I wasn't covering him at the time. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you guys. I'm sorry. But um, anyway, get the, that's the point, is that yeah, this I, I is the quintessence, it's the quintessence of all, of all of this. problematic issues. Russia, Uber. All of it. All of it, yeah. Right. Uh, real Donald Trump, women in tech. Uber right, has nothing you know, to do with Russia. Let's let that? them off the hook on that one. What'd you say? Uber has nothing to do with Russia. Facebook does. I bet you some Russians took an Uber. <laughs> I've been in an Uber with a Russian driver. All right. Wow. <laughs> Um, we have a little video that we're just yeah. going to use to start things off now. This has just been a few of the headlines we've seen um, over the past uh, few months. It's been a 
pretty chaotic. What's that sad, weepy music? What's going on? It's like we used all the rap music on I Bob see. Iger. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Stop the spinny. Okay. Stop. <laughs> so, Kinder, I'm going to jump into you because uh, we've seen a lot of headlines here around women in tech mm -hmm. and the problems around women in tech, and this is something that you care about a lot. Mm -hmm. um, why is it that um, that we are still today there are not many women in tech, that there are only a tiny percentage of women VCs. When you look at funding from last year alone, um, VCs funded, I think it was 5,300 male-founded tech companies, but only 300 female-founded tech companies. How do you change this and what, how, is, is it changeable? Is it just, is this the new Wall Street? Um, so I'm gonna answer your question, but before that I wanna come back to Kara's point because I couldn't agree more. Just to step back on corporate governance in general, what you have is an entire ecosystem, and I want to move on to women in tech, is an entire ecosystem of companies that, and founders that have been told, like, you are heroic because you disrupt. Yet we, you know, we confuse founders and CEOs. We confuse building a company and running a great company. And we somehow expect that this one person has been told that they're God and they can magically do both. A lot of them think and, they're God. And so I would just say the idea of corporate governance in, in Silicon Valley or management, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, save Bill Campbell, who was considered a God because lo and behold, he actually cared about management. Right. <laughs> I mean, but the Valley has never paid any yeah. kind of attention to management. And I think that's coming home to roost. You know, how companies are run is as important as how they're built, but that's never been rewarded. And so I think if you step, you know, to an adjacent topic, which is women in tech, I think if you say like, why are we in this position? We're in this position because you know, unfortunately, an unconscious bias tells us, this, tells us this, like begets like. So when you have pattern recognition and an idea of what a successful founder looks like, and a set of homogeneous people, whoever they are, who control the dollars moving into an ecosystem, and they are looking for patterns in, in some ways, which is so ironic for Silicon Valley, investing according to stereotype yeah. rather than data, you end up with what we have today. And how does it get better? Well, I think we've just seen a year in which, and I've been in the Valley for 20 years as a woman in tech, I think this is the first year in which we have seen change because women had the courage to step out and call it, right? And, and, and the reason that's important, of course, is because only when people see the threat of loss does behavior change, right? You know, the threat of losing your limited partners, the threat of your fund shutting down is what it's needed, has needed to happen for people to understand that maybe the money will stop flowing to bad actors in the ecosystem. I, Brad? I just, it's an interesting conversation because of the generality of it. It sort of presumes that what happens in a small subset of, of companies or geographies somehow applies to technology in general, or entrepreneurship in general, or leadership in general. And from any statistic and any perspective, the disparity or the, um, the dispersion of, of technology startups is now more widespread across this country than ever as well as all of North America, maybe not Mexico, but clearly Canada, there's now a much more pervasive ease and ability and understanding of how to build a technology company, number one. Number two is, I do think there are lots of issues that are worth talking about. I believe that there's a better construct around where, what are great examples. You talk about Bill Campbell. Mm -hmm. What was so great about Bill was the focus on learning, mm -hmm. on being better. And so whether it's Bezos and what he's done from a management perspective, or whether it's just simply how does a great operator deal with, or a great founder, um, emerge to be a great operator? 
and I'm not, so, so, present company, not, you know, not me specifically, but I can tell you I've been doing this for 25 years. I've been building technology companies for 25 years, and over time, you get better. So your company is not based in Silicon Valley. Was that an, an intentional decision? Absolutely. Always. He's always been in Chicago. Yeah, look, I mean, yeah, I, but, I grew up it, in Michigan. I, I followed the American uh, tradition of heading west. I just stopped in Chicago. <laughs> and we've been, my business partner and I have been building te uh, technology companies in Chicago uh, successfully for 25 years. We've had ups and downs, but I can tell you for sure that we are learners. And so Uptake is a company that I am so proud of what we're growing right now. And I'll give you one example, talk about culture and, and, and leadership of a founder emerging as an operator. I, I read somewhere a great idea, which was write a letter to your company every week. And that way, as you grow, especially fast like Uber has, there's an ability to communicate and let everybody understand the cultural and philosophical construct of which the founder is approaching the enterprise. And it's been, we went from 200 people January 1st, 2016, now we're at 900. And the value of weekly communication and simply letting everybody know what's on my mind is very important. So there's all kinds of ways you can, if you will, hack and you know, so, be better. So I have a, a, a Kara, I'm gonna go to you. Um, you've been covering these people for a long, long time. Yes. And it feels like, and I'm so sorry to bring that up, it I'm feels sorry. like, um, that there are never any consequences for the things that they yeah. do. And here's a perfect example. Yeah. Mark Zuckerberg can decide to buy a $19 billion company over a weekend or mm -hmm. uh, Instagram over chocolate-covered strawberries and an mm -hmm. episode of Game of Thrones, which actually mm -hmm. happened. And yet it takes him eight months to yeah. a year to figure out that Russians, to figure out what well, we all know, that Russians used Facebook to influence our election. Yeah. But there are no repercussions. The stock is still rising. He's still CEO. I wouldn't say there are no regressions right now. They're caught in a really ugly situation right now. Let's be, I mean, I think what they've, uh, one of the things that's interesting is a couple of months ago, I guess I was in Germany at DLD and there was a Facebook executive there that I got in kind of a tussle on stage with about, I know it's shocking like to everybody, <laughs> but I was like, how you've tarnished our society by your inability to control the fake news on your platform and you have a responsibility for it. And I was very firm. I was like, it's your fault. You need to do something about it. It's your platform. You're a media company. And something that Facebook does a lot, which, and by the way, I have a lot of regard for Mark Zuckerberg. I think he's a very thoughtful person. I know you person. like him a lot, yeah. I think, But I think what they, they do is they have a sense of themselves. And this guy was very upset by it. And was, it, was, it was like, a, it was, don't be so mean to me. And don't be so this and that. As if he's a delicate flower that needs special tending and spritzing and stuff like that. And what was really fascinating to me was the lack of awareness, one, that they're powerful, two, that they're rich as hell, these people, that they have enormous influence over news distribution, over, over uh, the media landscape, and by the way, they're killing the rest of the media landscape by sucking up all the oxygen and all the money in it. Yep. And so I think one of the things that happens is you get this kind of mode in Silicon Valley, which I think is now tired, and with the same thing, how can it get its mojo back? Like, they have to act like adults, like that they do have responsibility, they do have, uh, they have an, a, you know, if I'm talking to geeks in the room, which this is not, this is a very well-dressed and attractive room, so it's not, clearly not a full Silicon Valley crowd, um, <laughs> but one of the things that they have to do is, if you're talking in geek talk, as I've said many times, with great power comes great responsibility. Yep. 
listen, Spidey, you have to take responsibility for what you're doing. And so I think that's what it is. And so they do the slow roll. They're shocked. Mark started with, I didn't have... We had no impact on yeah, it. Jack Dorsey. Uh, we, we okay, maybe we Twitter. have impact. Or and then his three thousand word essay that it needed yeah. great yeah. editing. That was okay, okay possibly. Just, we did. Okay, just wait, wait. Tie so, it all together, Nick. So, oh. so hold on. So the, I, let me ask you a question to, to, because I think it's one that that you probably can answer. Isn't this the responsibility of the venture capitalists that fund these companies, the adults in the room? Absolutely. When newspapers were the new technology was it a self-policing? Did the investors hold the newspaper publishers responsible? No. What happens is at a certain time, our society creates some, some construct, which was two papers in the city. I think the issue is now there's, there's a new construct of media and, mm -hmm. and communication. We have to figure out how to but manage. But it seems that it's not the important. The next question is a much more foundational and deeper question to think about. And it's a, probably the most fundamental question that we can think about. The answer to that, I don't think, in the framework that I would think about it, is not that the venture capital community is the one that, in a singular way, is the only solution to what we're talking about. If you think about it, Mark Speak Zuckerberg. A little bit. Sorry, Mark Zuckerberg, back then, when he came on your stage and he was wearing that Freemason hoodie and he was sweating bullets, and you helped save him in that moment. Who else saved him in that moment? It was a woman, and her name was Cheryl Sandberg. His reputation in the movies and the books and everything else, he wasn't the Mark Zuckerberg of today. He was a kid back then. He was not a CEO. He is today. The guy who sits there and does Instagram and buys it over Game of Thrones, yep. right? The guy who makes history and buys WhatsApp and saves his company. The guy who's built a $400, $500 billion company that people used to laugh at. Who did that? It's people like Sheryl Sandberg who came in. And by the way, she's a woman. That's not important. She's actually a human being, and she changed my life. I'm a venture capitalist because of her. She saw something in me. She but let me finish this. She saw something in me and believed in me. And over a lunch, after I sold my company, she said, Shervin, you need to become a venture capitalist. You'll be disruptive. And she sent five emails that night. In a second, I've never seen the emails, but that's what she does. She changes people, and she changed Mark. The answer to your question then is, how do we change things? It's not just VCs, it's leadership. It's people like Sheryl Sandberg coming in and teaching a kid so how to become a global leader. You, I'll you finish wanna, on this one respond? point. Okay, so to be fair, I disagree. Ooh, <laughs> so right. I, think, I think we can talk about responsibility. About I, I disagree in saying that we all need to look to a management savior uh, you know, in the form of Cheryl or someone rescuing a founder, you have two sides of the equation and they both have a lot of blame to bear. Right. I mean, investors are sitting on the board, controlling access to capital and not using that leverage to create any kind of foundational management principles or hmm. even, I mean, think it's simplest. How many tech companies even have a CEO review? Like the basics of corporate governance of the management you see in public companies is just completely lost in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, Founders are judged from day one to be great CEOs and given inordinate license rather than having to prove that they actually are capable of being yeah, great CEOs mean, and measured by that. The point today. being is if you want the venture capitalists, the pe the, literally it's the people handing out the ice cream to the children continually to Both be sides. making sure the children don't go crazy on the ice cream, on the sugar high. And it's sort of like, 
I'm trying to think of a metaphor that I could use, but it's sort of like asking Donald Trump to teach humility. Like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to. It's not going to be. It, it, they're not going to be the ones to help these people. I think it's. No. The, it's I mean, it's like, it's like in, enablers, the, should, right? Should, it's like somebody on a drug and the, an enabler. Nick, the problem it, is going to get worse, and let me explain why. These companies are becoming basically sovereigns, all right? It's going to get they, worse. It's going to no. Oh. What I'm saying, what she's touching on, and she's right. It's not just VCs. It's not just management. It's it's a whole framework. It's and a whole you know system. what? The whole world is in the balance. What happened with Russia that you yeah. talked about the election and Facebook? It affect all of affected all of our lives. My son just showed me something from North Carolina, from uh, Charlottesville, a speech by one of the KKK people, and it's full filled with hatred, and he's scared. Hold on. Now, those algorithms are affecting our entire world, right? Completely. I'm, I'm arguing for your case exactly. I'm saying that this guidance needs to be there because the consequences are very, very stark. These companies are not just becoming $400 billion companies. Apple, Steve Jobs, fired, came back. What happened? It's a trillion dollar company. There's $250 billion of cash in there. Tim Cook is like a sovereign. He's like a head of a, of a nation state. These companies are becoming that. Mm -hmm. The consequences are massive, and we can't stop that scale. It's going to continue to happen. So people like Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or Travis and Dara and others, they need to be given advice and mentorship and support from all around. People can change. Do you We're think all fallible, can I, can I and we can grow. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll add to that. But and, this is the, but, and then we'll move on. <clears throat> Otherwise, we'll be here for another week. I, I agree that mentorship and advice and, and, and there's all kinds of inputs that can help companies in terms of how they're uh, governed and, and how a, a management team operates. But there's also a level of relevant interaction between a technology company and its customers mm -hmm. that becomes part of that equation. And I can tell you, you know, Uptake, we provide predictive analytics and, and insight to major industrial companies all over the world. So Caterpillar is one, Berkshire Hathaway Energy is another, and that relationship between disruptive technology um, creators and implementers and major iconic companies that are, that, are, that are operating our world, whether it's electricity grid, whether mm -hmm. it's the water supply, that relationship I think is another check and balance, mm -hmm. and it speaks to the kind of innovation happening outside of Absolutely. Silicon Valley. And that's part of the conversation is, is Silic to me, it's is Silicon Valley going to expand its, its breadth of vision? Or is that really the role of technologists in the Midwest, like us and others, that are looking at you know, the, the massive value that exists outside of the advertising uh, business? So, so one of the things, um, it's actually a perfect segue. Uh, by the way, if people want to email any questions, um, you could email Chervin at his personal email address. or. <laughs> Summit questions at vf.com. Um, uh, so there's been a debate that's going on right now. So when you look at the things that have gone wrong recently, putting this, the dumb ideas like Juicero aside and things like that, when you look at the, the Twitter bots and Russia and you know, the way Trump uses these platforms to, to lie and, and push divisiveness and so on and so forth and Facebook and what's going on with that, one of the big fears that I have is that the, the speed with which technology is created is coming closer and closer together. It's happened so rapidly now, and it's only going to continue to do that. And when we look at artificial intelligence, driverless cars, the next wave of right. technologies that are coming about, how do we avoid the potentially cataclysmic events that could happen 
as well, a result and, and of the this. question is, it's something I, you know, I'm obsessed on, this idea of like, right before it's like photo things and yeah. social media, Social media, let's be honest, has gotten weaponized. Yes. It's utterly weaponized. Mm -hmm. Here's a, a, what was considered a, sort of a benign thing to have fun. It is now utterly weaponized in every aspect of its use. Completely. What's going to happen, and who is thinking about this? And I don't know who should be the responsible person. AI, self-driving, robotics, automation, just five areas that are moving so quickly, I think people don't even begin to recognize, has direct impacts on jobs, yep. who's going to work, how many jobs there are going to be. <clears throat> And, and whether people are gonna actually have jobs, like, and then how do you train them? And so I think the question is who, one, who is responsible, is, is Uber responsible or Google responsible when they create the self-driving car and put a lot of people out of work? Hmm. Who's responsible well, when automation happens? Is that, is that Amazon who's I, creating those workhouses? And that's on the, what, Kara, what Kara, I'm just saying, that's the question yeah, is that you have Kara's, to figure out who's 150 responsible. 150 years ago, over half of our country worked in agriculture. Right. And now 2% work in agriculture. Yeah. Was it the responsibility of Somebody at John Deere right. to train? Yeah, but okay, here, so, before you go down the Industrial Revolution stuff. I know, this is a market. That, that, this is a market. That took place over 80 to 100 years. There was incredible strife in society. It was the biggest rise in violence that we've ever seen in this country. Artificial intelligence is going to happen in a tenth to, of that time, if not less. I think it's, it's and, it, and the, the problem is, is that we look at, the way these things are going to happen. And we cannot, I'm sorry, we cannot trust the kids in the room to make the decisions to ensure that, that society does not fall as can a result I, of Can it. I but make an attempt to answer your question? It, it, it's a very important question you ask. I went to, to, uh, to Egypt during the revolution, okay? I saw them, I saw them in Tahrir Square. I met with the kids who were doing the revolution then. You could say that they failed, but they did make history and they went for freedom. And what were they using? The government had to shut down the entire routers. Let me just finish, Nick. They shut down all, I know it's hard for you not to. <laughs> just bite your hand, you can do it. You're getting so a here, taste of my life every single day. Exactly. Of the week. I can picture you, you know, in the, the, in the Saturday Night Live scenes where yeah. they're, like, they're like, yeah, uh huh, and they're like cooking, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I put the phone down. And come oh, yeah, back, she like, has me on mute, like cooking, oh, eating. She time. doesn't care what I say. It takes like 30 no, minutes going, to get keep it going. Out. No, keep going. Anyways, I'm trying to respect I watched the whole answer. season of Orange is the New Black while he was talking to me. Love <laughs> 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 you. And that was just one phone call. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, so in, okay. in, hold yep, on. Yep, in yep. Tahrir Square, that's what they did, and they, used, they were using Twitter. They were getting it out there. The messages were getting out. They did that in Iran as well. Netta, Netta got shot. She got shot holding a cell phone. You remember her? Mm -hmm. She bled to death right there, her courage. So when you talk to me about what Jack Dorsey has done or Mark Zuckerberg has done, yes, I'm upset about what happened in the election. Of course I am, everybody knows that we make fun of what I tweeted the night of the election. But they also changed the world. They armed the world. Yes, it's weaponized, but weapons can be used for good or bad. Look at World War II. Hold on. That's what I'm saying. No, I'm, I'm, see, I'm actually starting to see your point. Thank really you. Scary. Oh my God, that's the first. Uh, but I think I must be on drugs. I, um, <laughs> because I see your, your point is, Tell me, it's being why used do you for agree good. For the first You're time. doing the Star Trek argument. Like we can either have this fantastic society or not. Yes. But I think the point Nick is making is, there's some real troubling issues coming down the pike. That we all- And we're sitting yeah. here still having to get venture capitalists and startup founders to stop talking about women's boobs, right? I mean, yeah. really, like, or, or not be sexually yeah. harassing, yes. the or genie, try to be The genie is out of the bottle. Yeah. The genie is out of the bottle. You're not going to stop well, that uh, progress. Right, right. Yes, there's adaptation coming quickly in our yeah. society, 
at every level of creators and operators and actors and governments. We have to figure out how to govern with these tools in terms of how to regulate. Do we regulate? Uh, there's a lot of questions, and whether it's industrial questions about the way autonomous cars are, are able to work, and, and we haven't talked about cybersecurity. There's so much coming. I think the one truth is it's time to start dealing with these things now. In a mature way, and that's why the mojo is going to have a problem coming back, because you're going to be regulation, you're going to have much more responsibility, you're going to have to act like adults, and it is necessarily going to create issues around innovation. Yeah, and so the question is, how do we stay innovative and not continue to destroy things that need some support? So do you want to, do you want to, uh, so ahead. I have a question, a question. that yeah, I'd, I'd love for you to answer. So he just said that, you know, these technologies can be used for, for, for good and for evil. This is an argument I've heard a lot from people in tech, that a hammer is an object that you can use to put something on the wall or you could hit someone in the head with. And, it's, mm -hmm. and the, the, the technology itself is neither good nor evil. We are now building technologies that use machine learning, that have algorithms that are not just they're not just technologies, yeah. they're not just tools. They are more like people and they're moving more in that direction. So they can be created for good or for evil. How do you control that? Right. So, so I think a, a couple of things. So historically one would say that if you want to avoid being regulated, right, uh, a set of private sector actors come together and self-regulate. right? In an, when we talk about the speed of technology right now, we would say in an ideal world we would have a progressive framework that involved the public sector and leadership that would allow us, you know, to create something ahead of formal regulation in partnership, right? I mean, these are the frameworks around 5G or what have you. I mean, look at any set of technology revolutions or, or uh, you know, infra infrastructure revolutions. Creation of the internet. Creations, and they've, been, and they've been infrastructures and partnerships between private and public sector. Today we have two, thing two things that are a challenge. Number one, we have a vacuum of public sector leadership with regard to technology <laughs> and a lack of understanding and a move to populism, which doesn't help the cause, yeah. right? Because all it does is create a backlash without creating any framework. To Kara's point, on the other hand, I think for Silicon Valley to get its mojo back, it needs a new kind of mojo. It's called management and responsibility mojo. <laughs> and that mojo will mean that, you know, a set of actors have to step in and together create some framework, you know, until we have somebody to create a framework with. I mean, what is our choice, right? I mean, there is no choice. You have to, so do I think the kids should regulate themselves? No, but now we are sitting at a set of actors, Google, Facebook, Apple, what have you, Amazon, where in the absence of anything else, populism, you know, and the backlash they're facing kind of, and the threat of regulation will force them into some kind of framework themselves, I think. And I think you're seeing it happen on certain issues like ads and, you know, and well, uh, fake news and so on. I mean, they, they you know, Admittedly late, but they're learning that they have to grapple or else. And not fixing let me, it. Yet. Let me offer an example. Yeah, and not in, fixing it, it yet, but it's you, you talk about a hammer. It could be used for good, evil. Let me tell you about what technology can do right now. A wind turbine in Iowa has sensors that, are, that have been operated, uh, been put on that wind turbine for a decade. We just haven't used the data that the sensors create. And what those sensors put off is information about that turbine and how healthy it is. When a issue that's in that white vertical pole arises that basically could shut down that turbine. Instead of it shutting down the turbine, what we can now use technology to do is inform a control room four hours away to go fix it. And now when the operators, the, the, uh, the, 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 the mechanics go to fix it, they have the right parts. So you could say, well, our economy has been built in, it's been built for inefficiency. We've been built an economy around, it takes three visits to go fix that turbine, but it actually could take one. And that's using 
AI and deep learning and all of the opportunity <clears throat> that we now have in terms of deploying technology across the world for good. There's it lots could, of that out there. It's, yeah, it could also, the Russians could also use it to go, oh, there's a turbine stopped. I, I think, I think. Cybersecurity is still a big. I think the yeah. problem we faced is, look, let's, let's split up this country there it is. The top of the, com the country, 10%, whatever, loves the future. Future's great. The top 1% of those people have gotten obscenely wealthy. Yeah taking advantage Same. of that obscenely just really the top the, the top 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 eight richest the, people right. have as much wealth as the bottom exactly so there, there's a group at the top they love it they think it's great they're leaning into the future they think it's fantastic at the bottom there's people that are left behind and have been left behind and are still being left behind and probably very difficult to train to retrain people and bring them forward into the future but worth it and then but worth it in the middle is a where most people live is they're worried about the future. They know this has something scary to do about their jobs. They want to be part of the future, and they are trying they really hard to do it. But this group up here is no not helping them, or nor, nor no one in government is helping them figure out how to get there. I think that's the problem, is this group in the middle has no can go either yeah. way. It yeah. can go to a very populist and reactionary way, or it can go into a, a different way if there's yeah. leadership. And the question I have is, where is, the, where is the leadership from the top of technology? It has to come from there. If it's not gonna be from the leadership of our technology, it's gonna be leadership of technology from other countries mm -hmm. who may not have the same values that we have, for example. And then lastly, if they don't get rid of some of the most, the more asinine things, which is this pervasive misogyny and tech and sexism, and it just exists, no matter how. Like, I'm so tired of them saying that it's not misogynist when it's 100 freaking percent, percent misogynist, yeah. where they build meritocracy, they pretend it's a meritocracy and it's a meritocracy. Mm -hmm. They look at themselves and think that that's the way things are. Yeah. And so unless they get to a point where, where we get rid of all this ridiculous stuff, and move into the very serious issues. I think technology is a real. Just, I mean, I'm, uh, thirty we, seconds, Brad. Investor and a, and a, and a journalist and, and two operators. We have almost forty percent women on our leadership team. Good. My, my point nice. is, it's not like nobody is is, is Yo, operating of responsibly. No, of course not. And, but I yeah. want to provide an. Ex here I am on the stage. Right. I don't believe the, in the absoluteness of of what you're saying, and I do believe there's plenty of examples where, because I agree, a company should look like society. Period. End of story, and therefore there, sh there should be no difference of construct. And I believe that the message that you're delivering, and some of the opportunities about responsible governance—that message is being delivered. It's being incorporated. You are in the minority. Uh, so, last you question. Yeah. Uh, but on the threat of extreme <clears throat> loss and the realization of extreme loss, mm -hmm. do we see even a small measure of progress? I mean, that's the truth of this year. I yeah. mean, uh, for 19 years, Kara and I have both been in tech and mm -hmm. even uh, and lived it. And I mean, have you seen as much change as we did this year? Only on actual loss. Only when well, people yes. in power lose yes. something valuable, yeah. you know, We're over bias We're do and, we and, see. And look in the change. resonance of the company that you've created and how important it is. I mean, you're hearing the purpose of what you've done is, we, is real. So we, we only have a, a minute, 30 seconds left. Um, are we in a simulation? You guys think that? Okay, we won't, we won't even go there. Um, you know what? If we were in a simulation, my life would be a whole lot fucking better. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, um, Come on. Let's pretend that you uh, all own Twitter. What would you do about oh God, Donald you and Trump Twitter. on the platform? Sell it to Google like yesterday and for then, a dime. And have a prerequisite they have to delete real Donald Trump's Twitter account? No. No. No? Look. No. Why do that? That why? Oh, God, that fight. Come on. Like, that's, that's exactly <laughs> the problem with Silicon Valley. Let him tweet yeah. away. What were you going to say? Interestingly, look, I mean, I would just say 
as much as I, I hate to read his tweets, it provides visibility in, into that, that mind at work, whether you like what it's saying or not. And so I think the visibility of the platform you know, continues to, despite the actors that are on it, continues to warrant him you know, being there. I mean, the risk we have in Silicon Valley right now with Donald Trump and how alienated we all are by what he's saying is that Silicon Valley does in fact become an ideological echo chamber where it only, you know, as a reaction to that, yeah. we don't want to hear anything else. Yeah. And I think that's a Oh, I'm not risk. saying we don't want to hear anything I mean, but, else. I just feel you, like there but, should be right. a check and a balance. Uh, we have 22 seconds, Shervin. Uh, I waited till the last second. We have an email <laughs> from someone who says, we have 18 seconds. Can we speak about Hyperloop already? Shervin, when can I go super fast in a tube? Ryan, who is 12 from Wisconsin. He's 12? Just yeah. kidding. I'm joking. Hey, go. Uh, <laughs> Come on, you got six seconds. My heart was all warm. Mervin, when can we go super fast? Fast in a tube. Um, so, uh, to that point, thanks for the question. So I'll be... Oh, he's going to really answer it. Oh, my God. Yes. Come so on, real quick. Hyperloop, you'll be able to ride it, and we'll also do cargo by 2021. We broke ground in Vegas. The structure weighs about 2 million pounds. I invite all of you guys if you want to go see it. But we did the major tests. The, the steel tube is about 12 feet wide, um, and it weighs 2 million pounds. We hit... 200 miles per hour, full-scale pod. You can actually sit in that, too, we have, we have to, we have with to wrap cargo. Up, so. And that means you can do 700 miles per hour as you Thank extend you. the tube. So. 2021. Thank you, everyone. Fast. I appreciate it. Thank you to the panel. That was fun. Thank you, yeah. Thanks again to Nick Bilton for moderating that panel, and thank you to the Vanity Fair New Establishment Summit for hosting us and letting us use the audio on the podcast. If you missed it earlier this month, don't forget to listen to my interview with superstar TV producer Shonda Rhimes from that same event. If you enjoyed this episode and are new to Recode Decode, then you should subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts. And be sure to check out our other podcast. Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media, where he talks to the smartest and most interesting people in the media world. Lauren and I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you'll find audio from Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Recode Decode. Thanks also to Cadence 13, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thank you to our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. Hey, Recode Decode fans. This is Sarah Cliff with a new podcast suggestion for you. It's called The Impact, and every week we have stories about real people. I got pregnant two months after I graduated high school. It was not planned. <laughs> we look at the policies that shape those people's lives. Too often here in D.C., we stop talking about laws after they pass. But on The Impact, we will follow those policies out into the real world where all of us live. It's just fantastic. It's just great. Subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast app you like the most.